Yeah, and look, you know, I, I like I like yellow gold watches. I think that they're very attractive. They're not for everyone. Is it showy? Sure, but it's um, it's sort of a fun, masculine, you know, way of being show showy. I mean, these are not watches in any type of sport utilitarian sense. This is pure, unadulterated men's jewelry. There's nothing wrong with that, but you just have to understand it for what it is. It's men's jewelry. On this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly with Rick and Ariel, we have the build-up and expectations for Watches and Wonders. We review two new Mickey Mouse-themed watches from Undone, get a hands-on take on the new AP Jumbos and Golden Steel, and try to avoid all Star Wars references while looking at the new Gerard Perigot casket. We hear from Octavio from Gorilla Watches talking about the new Thunderbolt GT, and boys, it's pronounced Venezia Nico. You were talking about the Redentore Reserva di Carica, the new flagship timepiece of the Venezia Nico Redentore collection. Enjoy the show! Greetings and welcome to the Blog to Watch Weekly. How are you today, Ariel? No, don't answer that question. It's snowing over here and I predict that it's, you know, 20 degrees sunshine. All I've seen you talking to me about all week is going on long hikes in the glorious countryside. I'll let you believe that it's better here because it is. <laughs> is the sun shining on the righteous? Is that what you're telling me? Well, it's nearly 3 a.m. right now, so it's pretty dark outside, but... Uh... Committed to the cause of, <laughs> of recording 3 a.m. So how has the weekend watches been for you? What have you been up to in exciting? Well, I think a lot of it is preparing for Watches of Wonders, having more meetings. There's sort of this weird quiet before the storm, and it's been three years, so it's going to be absolutely quiet. And the moment that March 1st hits, I'm telling you, it's going to be a storm of emails and frantic last minute meetings because it's one month to the event. It's March 30th, which Watches of Wonder starts. And I've seen this time and time again. I've done this so many years in a row. That is when everybody is going to go wild and and, and freak yep. out about it. There's so many watch brands that are there. There is the Watches and Wonders show. There is one that's called Time to Watch. And then there are all these little corollary meetings and stuff like that. So our team has been planning and making schedule and training and we're ready to go and we need it we need to have hundreds and hundreds of watch pictures because we have you know months and months of content to create so we're excited about it i think it's going to be great it'll be a, a trek it's kind of like preparing to climb a mountain it's a very arduous experience that can be great and can go wrong but when you get to the top of it you kind of feel good so is the show like breaking up like the people's front of judea and the judean people's front is that what's happening everyone's kind of all revolving around geneva but trying to some are in pal expo and some are in hotels and some are in other conference centers to try and get into the orbit of what's happening. We'll see. Honestly, it's been so long. I know three years doesn't sound like that long. It certainly isn't in Geneva, but so much has happened in the world and in the watch industry that I am prepared for a fully new experience. Of course, there'll be a lot of the same things that we'll see there, but you know, I'm, I'm just keeping an open mind. And has the Rolex speculation already started or do we really not care because no matter what they do, no one's going to be able to get any? Yeah, I'm sort of a little bit in the second camp. Rolex doesn't necessarily go by any theme. There really is a sort of a, a large list of products that they can choose from to release and they make a selection based upon a lot of factors. There's always a logic to it, but I know that they get more excitement out of people guessing wrong than guessing right, so I don't even try. <laughs> I'm wanting them to troll LVMH Group and Patek and produce a Tiffany Blue Daytona just to melt the watch internet. 
Add that or save that up for April 1st. I love how aquamarine is now a joke color. <laughs> yeah. You know what it is? It's the, it's the, it's the eye-catching effect. And the thing is, for a very long time, you wouldn't necessarily have a man choose what he might consider to be a feminine cult. Until in pop culture, men were doing so and getting a lot of female attention. And guys are like, oh, wait a minute. There's, there's something to this. So now you have men wearing all these colors in otherwise masculine form. Like it still needs to be a men's watch, but with a color that you might normally associate with something feminine and it gets a lot of attention, whether it's female attention or other male attention or just generic attention, watches serve great value in society when they get attention. So anything that gets attention is important. And I remember that there was this episode of Mad Men where they made a fake Accutron ad and part of their slogan that they made in the television show for the Accutron watch was that it isn't just a timepiece, it's a conversation piece. And that has been something which has been known for a very, very long time that anything which gets people to ask you about your watch or look at it and talk about it has value. And we know that the culture right now is a little bit more kind to things like bright colors than diamonds mm. and precious stones. And so we, we live in the era of, you know, bright color watches and it's 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 here to stay for a while. So we think that that will be a theme of watches and wonders. We think we'll just see everyone going nuts with other colors and dare anybody of non-LVMH brands, dare anybody produce something that looks vaguely like Tiffany blue? Oh, it's going to be everything. We're going to see blues and purples and pinks, all different types of colors around the spectrum. It's just experimentation time right now. Brands don't really know what else to do other than use new materials and new colors for the most part. I mean, think about where the innovation is. It is in, in that. It is, oh, it's the Royal Oak, but in ceramic now. Not really much has changed, but the material. I mean, think of the Omega Speedmaster Dark Side of the Moon. What was exciting about it? Oh, it's in black ceramic. So colors and materials, and oftentimes the colors that come with materials, is what people get very excited about. Many men would not have wanted to buy a watch that was feminine looking in the past. The tastes are a little bit different now, and because there aren't a lot of watches like that throughout history, the new ones are going to do well, right? There are no Tiffany-colored you know, Nautiluses in the past that people can go to because it wasn't typically made, at least not for men. So men-sized watches with these fun colors, as long as there's demand for it and there's a lot of things that you can do that haven't been done, I suspect we're going to see a continuation of that. And do you think we'll actually see anybody truly innovating with any products that they bring to the market? What would you actually like to see? What would count as an actual innovation? I don't see any signs of there being a lot of actual innovation. There's always some. There's new movements and new mechanisms. I remember about a year ago, Frederic Constant, who is not showing officially at Watches and Wonders, came out with the monolithic manufacturer that yes. uses this one-piece silicon part to replace a traditional you know, balance wheel and hairspring that operates usually at four hertz with one part that operates at 40 hertz. So vastly faster, uses less power, the same movement that had about two days of power reserve now has 80 hours of power reserve. And no one's really talking about this. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. it's not cool, but I'm just saying the market doesn't rally around innovation from a commercial standpoint as much as we might suspect they do. I'm not saying innovation is bad, but it has to be, you know, it needs to come out. It needs to be, you know, educated. People need to learn what it is. They have to form demand and desire for it. Look at Omega with the coaxial escapement technology. How many years do they have to keep repeating coaxial, coaxial, coaxial? For anybody even have any idea what it is, most people don't know what it is anymore. But they, they hear the word coaxial and they think, oh, that sounds fancy. So 
innovation in the traditional luxury watch industry has always had sort of a strange relationship where it hasn't always been welcome. So innovation is a term that we you know, take a little bit with a grain of salt. But at the end of the day, brands do need to come out with fresh emotions. And so if they can package emotions in a way that no other watch has packaged before, I think that counts for innovation. Well, our innovation this week is the official spinning wheel of news. So I shall give it a spin and we shall align on our first topic, which comes from this week's A Blog to Watch content. So you can read along at home, if you like, uh, with more detail in the article. And having spun the wheel of news, and actually, this is quite a good link because you were talking about the dark side of the moon, we're going to talk about actually an article just published today by yourself which features the dark side of the mouse something which we're going to attempt to get trending so ariel take us away on the undone disney mickey mouse guess who's back and fantasia watches Thank you. Yes, these are two new Undone watches, and for the first time, they have incorporated Disney licenses uh, with the characters, both of them Mickey Mouse, one as the Sorcerer's Apprentice from the 1940 film Fantasia. You know, it's interesting because Undone is very, very familiar with working with licensed properties at this point. And one of the things that they do is they ask themselves, what has no one else done? You know, you look at Disney, there's just this long waterfall of characters and things like that. And they actually come at different prices and stuff like that, actually. You know, a more popular character, I think, is going to be a little bit more uh, expensive from a licensing perspective. I'm not really sure where Mickey falls into that. But I don't think anyone else has done a Fantasia watch until now, at least not in any modern sense. So I think it was very clever of them just to be like, hey, no one's got a Fantasia watch. Let's have one and see. It's kind of a nice souvenir watch. I wouldn't call it uh, particularly horological and its its appeal, but if you are a mega fan of Fantasia or Mickey as the Sorcerer's Apprentice, that'll be something you like. Then you have something totally different with the Guess Who's Back, which is a mechanical watch, which takes the concept of, of having the Mickey Mouse character on the dial and using his hands as the hour minute hands and does something very subtle. It just turns Mickey backwards. So you see the back of his head. Everything else is more or less the same. And that's why they call it Guess Who's Back, which doesn't actually logically make sense because I don't know that he went anywhere. <laughs> but that's what they did. And there's a surprising level of satisfaction when you when you wear this watch on your wrist. It's not like, why is Mickey turned the other way? It's actually something nice about the fact that you can't see the facial expression. It adds a, a different artistic quality to it. Not that cheap. I think it's about 600 bucks, which, you know, is is higher than this yep. base camp collection. That is what the uh, the model family is called from Undone. But it's it's quite decent. Some of the interesting things that most people don't know about this collection is that it uses a Lexan crystal, which is not sapphire. It's it's sort of a, it's, it's a synthetic. A lot of the headlights from cars are made out of Lexan. All right. Um, or, okay. or certain very durable cooking wear and things like that. So I don't know how scratch resistant it is, but it's a damn hard material. They chose it because it's just something other than you know, acrylic, which is honestly kind of crappy plastic. So Sapphire would have been maybe ideal, but Lexan and the cool shape they did, it's it just kind of cool. And I think that as a collector, there's a lot to appreciate there. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the Fantasia watch is the sort of thing you might buy if you happen to be at Disney World. It's for fans of Fantasia. The other watch with the with uh, Mickey Mouse uh, walking away from us or dancing away from us with his uh, bum turned... Uh, to the watch uh, face is actually quite cool. Surprise! I'm just not a fan of these. I don't. Maybe it's a Mickey Mouse thing. 
that Mickey Mouse just doesn't have the cultural significance in the UK that he does in the States. But this is actually quite cool. I mean, he's not like one of our senators or anything. Well, I mean, that's that's. That, are you sure? Have you have you checked? Well, <laughs> the only thing I find a bit odd about it is that the so on the on the case back. So it's a clear case back on the Mickey Mouse one. Is Mickey Mouse facing the right way? But it's not the opposite of the way he's facing on the front of the watch, if that makes sense. So it's not like him passing through the watch. It's a completely different image of him standing rather than on the front of the watch where he's kind of jauntily whistling along. Yeah. So I just thought it'd be quite cool if it was almost like, you know, one repeated that. Or you could do that Speedmaster thing whereby on the back of the watch his hands are also moving. But the other way around. Let me explain that. Um, I have a guess. I don't know exactly why. Ah. And this is sort of the nerdy thing about doing these licensed products. It is one thing to use a drawing or a graphic that Disney supplies. I mean, you take their existing intellectual property as it is and you apply it to your watch. Mm -hmm. It's a very different thing to say, you know what? We drew our own Mickey Mouse. <laughs> that has to be approved probably is a different process altogether by Disney because it's it's not just their character, but every drawing of their character is something that they want to protect. They wanted to make sure it fits all these standards. So my suspicion is that there was this like, I don't know, a catalog of imagery around Mickey Mouse right, and they could yes. take certain things and adapt it minorly. But that's what I'm guessing is happening. And you see the exact same thing on the Fantasia one where there are two different versions of Mickey Mouse and these are you know these are direct screenshots if you will from from his yes. his movements in the film. Cool. So have you had to send these back or have you passed them on to your kids? No, I I I still have these ones right here. You know, I like the Mickey Mouse one a lot. I always wanted a, a cool Mickey Mouse watch as a kid. I love the, 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 you know, the Gerald Genta ones. I never wanted sort of the, the low end one and a lot of them were very I don't know, they just seem very souvenirish and this one right here has the Mickeyness, but also has a fashionability. It doesn't have a bunch of random yeah. branding. It doesn't say Mickey Mouse on there. It doesn't say like you know I love I love Disney cartoons. It's a fun piece without trying too hard. And I don't know that that Undone always gets the credit they deserve from a design perspective. Sometimes they'll do things that are sort of ho hum, but a lot of the times they do things that are very, very clever and very, very crafty. And I, I, I definitely appreciate them for that. Yeah, so this is cool. So check it out on a blog to watch for the full pictures and images. And you can obviously go online and buy these from wherever you buy Undone Watches, which is presumably their website. That would be correct. The Audemars Piguet 50th Anniversary Royal Oaks, the 16202 Jumbos, Arbalal visited with them recently when he was traveling. They were nice enough to show us their entire new collection of 50th anniversary watches. There was a lot of them, a lot. So we'll try to cover more of those as they come in. This is a challenging to get watch in, in a lot of ways, very similar to, you know, many of the steel Rolex watches. The steel one is, you know, about 33,000. The gold one's about 70,000. Just putting things in perspective, you know, a solid gold Rolex president, which I think you can buy buy now is about $40,000 with a more complicated movement. And this one is $70,000. It just sort of goes to show that a lot of the solid gold watches out there, you know, 
they don't even try to beat the Rolex price. They just sort of go higher. And so that's a, you know, that's, that's, that's a hefty amount of money, but there's a lot of gold. It's a solid watch and there's a new movement and everyone kind of jokes. They're like, oh, that's great. There's a new movement that isn't, you know, multiple decades old. And what does it do different? It has a little bit more of a power reserve, looks nicer. These 50th anniversary ones have, you know, a special uh, 50th anniversary logo in the automatic rotor. If you look very, very closely at these watches, you're going to see, you know, modest changes, little things here and there that you can tell are an update from the previous version that they, they tried to update. You know, from a glance, are you going to know that anything's different? No. And again, this isn't the only one here. This is, you know, if you're an, if you're an Audemars Piguet fan, you look here and you'll notice, okay, this has the full baton hour markers it has the Audemars Piguet plus the AP logo on the dial mm. and if you look over the years you know there's a while that the AP was the 12 o'clock indicator and there was just a lot of little differences here and there it's it there, there's no revolution here in any way it's supposed to be a, an upgrade it probably is if you have a Royal Oak right now you know should you ditch yours to get one of these probably not but these watches are going to be popular in pop culture for a while. And, you know, there's always going to be little iterative improvements. And nobody wants to lose out sales because of things like, oh, the movement isn't good enough or it's not new enough. So, you know, it, it, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with increasing, you know, the, the quality of the movement. It's finally, you know, 4 hertz, 55-hour <laughs> power reserve, quick set date you know this was kind of an aging movement it was a nice one in the older watch was the 15202 now is the 16202 at 39 millimeters wide which actually wears large given the proportions of the case but the funny thing is it's called the jumbo even though it's not the biggest one they make yeah i didn't understand that but I, i'm not like an ap aficionado it's because the old 39 a long time ago is called the jumbo when that was the biggest one they made and you know how it is right. with nicknames in the watch industry they just stick forever and when you don't have a nickname the Rolex people will make up a nickname. <laughs> well, this is this is a thing. You've got to go to the Rolex website and now try and predict. You know, if you can, if you stick in Rolex Pepsi into the or Pepsi in the search box of the Rolex website, it will take you to what we would call the Rolex Pepsi. Oh, that's even funny. though that's Rolex funny. deny that they call it that internally. And if you speak to anybody that works for Rolex, you know if you if you're heard referring it to it as that, you you get your your knuckles slapped. I do quite like this AP in the the little tweak they've done on the back that with the 50th anniversary logo on the weighted rotor, and that will only appear for this year. So if you buy this watch after the 50th anniversary is passed, it will it will just be a standard rotor. So I think that's quite a nice touch. Yeah, for Gerald Genta designs, you know, I like this more than the Nautilus. So I would rather have one of these oh, yeah. versus the Nautilus. Absolutely. Both of them are watches that are very expensive right now, very difficult to get. And if you like this aesthetic, the reality is there's a lot of other watches out there which mimic this. I think one of the things that the Nautilus and the, and the Royal Oak have over some of the competition is the thin case. Those movements are relatively thin. This has an 8.2 millimeter thick case, which isn't the thinnest in the world, but a lot of the competition that'll use a more stock movement, they end up being 12 millimeters thick, 11 millimeters thick, 13 millimeters thick. So the thinness, I think, does go big way in its favor. But we're also talking about a watch that doesn't even have a second's hand. That bothers me. It bothers me. The Is it the Parmigiani Tonda, the new Tonda <laughs> range, also doesn't have a running seconds. That also bothers me. It bothers me slightly 
slightly less on the AP because there's so much going on in the dial, whereas on the Tonda, the dial is quite plain in comparison. Uh, and the Tonda, I think you really miss not having a running second. This not so much. I mean, they could have just had the AP logo spinning around or something little. Yeah, like the, what's the, uh, is it the Rado Captain Cook with the wee anchor? Well, that's not part of that. That just moves on its own volition. <laughs> that's gravity based. Oh, well, I, I mean, well, so just, just put a loose screw at the back and just let it move around. But you're right. Something, because some of those dive watches have a running meter which just lets you know because if you're diving or you're about to dive you don't have time to sit there and be like is this thing working how you know you, you can't go underwater and not have timing it's it's bad so it- so you should absolutely not take your seventy thousand pound gold Oddmar Piggy and use it as a dive watch because there's no running seconds and you might What's well, also water resistant to 50 meters. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, Speedmaster territory. So, you know, don't take it near the dishes. Finally, is the gold one really £30,000 more watch? In other words, is that the cost of the gold or have they put in the cost of the gold and then... Added a added a bit more profit to well look you're 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 price. already talking about a premium priced offering in steel look it's a prestige thing the idea is you go in there and it's like are you the guy that has the amount for the gold and then when you see the gold you know that it costs this amount the value in showing onlookers that you spent more is is worth it for a lot of people because a lot of people when they buy luxury watches are not inherently seeking construction quality and material value they're looking for bragging rights and the more expensive your watch is the more bragging rights you have goes back to something we talked about last time about the efficiency of luxury and this in gold tells the story of who you are and how much money you've got very very efficiently to yeah. those around you yeah, and look you know <laughs> so. I, I like i like yellow gold watches i think that they're very attractive they're not for yeah. everyone is it showy sure but it's um it's sort of a fun masculine you know way of being show, showy i mean these are not watches in any type of sport utilitarian sense this is pure unadulterated men's jewelry and there's nothing wrong with that but you just have to understand it for what it is it's men's jewelry yeah if you want something more practical then for seventy thousand dollars you can buy the solid gold g-shock instead i seem to recall that that also cost about seventy thousand dollars you're right yeah yeah it's exactly so uh, you know what which would i rather have i think i'd go for the g-shock that it's G-Shock's definitely more awesome. exclusive it's, it's the ultimate stealth wealth wearing a watch that is actually solid gold when everybody thinks it's just gold plastic. But there we go. So that's the AP reviewed on a blog to watch. Go and check that out. And, you know, if you happen to buy one or get the opportunity to buy one, then do let us know. If you get the opportunity to buy one and decide to turn it down, then do definitely let us know and we'll take your we'll take your place. Uh, in, in that waiting list so uh, <laughs> okay. give us a shout but, <laughs> but there we go so that is uh, everything from Odmar Piguet we touched on watches and watch brands that do similar things to the kind of Gerald Genta and one of those brands that has a watch in that category is Girard Perigot but this week they produced something that is entirely not your standard your standard watch, but just something digital. A bit of a throwback from them. This was the Girard Perigot Casket 2.0 watch. Have you seen this yes. in the flesh? Yes, yes. I had this for a while. I wore it, even though the pictures on the website of are of our David Breton wearing the watch. That's not your hairy wrist. That's definitely... Your hairy wrists are slightly... <laughs> I, can, I can identify your wrist from his wrist. Yeah, yeah. 
is this watch as cool as it looks? And we, we've got to try and get through this particular conversation without mentioning any reference to any George Lucas property because we've already touched on on the whole Disney thing. So save save those references till after or till the end. Try and get through without comparing this or suggesting that some evil tyrant, and there are a few of them about, but any particular uh, fantasy evil tyrant. Oh, so tyrant. you're suggesting this is a Darth Vader watch? Is that what I'm hearing? No, don't say it. Don't, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Is this what people are saying? Yeah. I'm waiting to see this produced in white ceramic, you know, and get the Stormtrooper look and then, you know, red ceramic. It'll be the Imperial Guards. Look, and, I, I, ha- and all I have to say, they could do that. They did the white ceramic Laureato that was not designed by Gerald Genta. And that was one they did with George Bamford. And this is a watch he's particularly excited about. Remember that they came out with a carbon fiber version of this for only watch. Yes. I was going to ask what the difference was. Is that was carbon fiber? Just, just really the material. I think the case shape might have been a little bit different, but for the most part, same movement. Now, I want to go back. I don't even remember the name of it. This was at least 10 years ago. But Gerard Perigo came out with a limited edition quartz Laureato. It was not digital. It was just a, a normal analog dial. It was quartz. Super nice movement. And it was the first time that they were sort of celebrating their their history in the 1970s of making innovative quartz movements. I thought it was lovely. It was it was it was actually priced about the same as this one. I don't know if you can find any of those. I think those would be impossible to find. But that would be that would be an awesome watch to get. One of those quartz laureados from uh, limited editions from about 10 years ago. Here we have a very different take on Gerard Perigo's history making quartz watches. Now with a LED digital screen. And at the time, this was like this was this was the peak of cool. Okay, you would push a button on the watch and the screen would illuminate with these crisp red markers that would digitally form the numerals and you could do different things you could cycle it to show one screen would show the time and then the seconds and the date so it it had a couple of features and this watch likewise has a couple of different features as well Uh, chronograph is one of them and it was just there it was like wearing a little computer on your wrist with these this amazing display but the display used a lot of battery life so after a couple of seconds it would go out and most of the time wearing it would have a blank screen so it was a lot like Mm. wearing the first apple watch uh, or the first few apple watches that when it wasn't lit up it was a blank screen and that's not great but at least the screen is you know pushed to the side it's 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 what they call a wedge watch or a driver's watch so the time is sort of displayed to the side so a little bit less of an issue. But the problem is that even at a luxury price, you still have to push the button to activate it. Are you suggesting that at a luxury price, it should come with somebody to push the button for you? No, I'm suggesting they should incorporate <laughs> the technology that, that Casio and later Apple did, where there's a small internal mechanism that when you lift your wrist, it's it's sometimes it's it, it doesn't need, even need to be an accelerometer. It can be even more simple than that. It just sort of knows that and it activates it for you. It is kind of annoying to have to push a button right the whole the whole value of a watch is that you can look at it you know with one hand while your other hand is holding something but that you actually have to physically push it i don't know if i'd want to live with that forever you know it could be fun <laughs> I, I i don't know how you could go on living at all frankly yeah i mean i, mean, I would just i would just i mean what what's the what's the point anymore <laughs> if it's come to this in luxury watches that we have to push buttons oh, what's the, just, what's the, the humanity <laughs> woe is us well uh, look, all I'm saying is that this is a highly competitive marketplace. And yeah. this is a $4,700 product. This is a limited edition. There'll be more of them for sure. And I understand they want to be true to original. But you were talking about innovation. I do like it when 
these retro remake watches are modernized. Sometimes when people try to make a watch exactly like it was in the 60s or something like that, there could be a charm to it, but it's sort of like we've come further along. Like if you've, if you, you know, if you're anyone that's handled watches from, you know, the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, like today, they're kind of crappy. Like I'm not saying that they're all bad, but for the most part, like, you know, yep. they're not nearly as nice as, as a watch from today. So to take an old look and modernize it, I think is the type of innovation that I'm looking for. Just remaking something from the past I know there's certain collectors that get so freaking excited about this, but as someone who's looking mm. at modern technology, it's hard for me to. The bottom line is this is a very charming, cool watch, black ceramic case with titanium, cool screen. If you've never had the experience before, it's definitely fun. Anywhere you wear it, people can just say, hey, that's cool. But if you wanted to wear it on a daily basis, I would like to suggest for Gerard Perigot to consider in the next ones they make, which I'm sure they will, just add that functionality. Everyone's been asking for it. And if like a hundred dollar Casio can do it, I think they can as well. Yeah, for forty seven hundred dollars. I'm waiting to see the first person that wears one of these on their left wrist and an Apple watch on their right wrist. Definitely a bit redundant. <laughs> if you want to do that and send us a photo, then please do. I, I think this is uber cool, looks great. I wonder whether they've missed a bit of a trick pricing it quite at that level. I mean, presumably the expense of this watch is in the ceramic. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why Why does everyone feel this is overpriced? I don't. I, I'll tell you why, but I'd like not to know your opinion. Why? Well, I mean, my feeling is there's not a lot of cash involved in... If you build it from the ground up, there's not a lot of money involved in the digital bit of this watch. Like, I mean, that's a microprocessor, a screen. That's going to be, if I would guess, a few pounds. Maybe three figures? But not much more than that. That means that you're looking at the rest of the watch, which is the ceramic case and strap being the guts of the other, you know, let's assume a markup of 40%. So their cost is running at maybe three and a half grand. So you're looking at 3,000, 3,000 pounds worth of the cost of this watch is in the manufacture of the case and the ceramic bracelet. That I have sounds a, I have a very different perspective quite, on it. Quite, that sounds... I mean, I don't know how much it costs to make a ceramic bracelet in limited numbers such as this. It does look very well finished, so it's not cheap. I just my gut feel is that that's a bit, you know, they've edged up the margin on that, maybe a smidgen. And that actually, if, the, if their aim is to bring this watch in as introducing a new kind of fun range from GP... You know, they're going to produce a steel one. They might produce ones with some coloured cases on them, etc., etc., which would be quite a cool way to go in limited... I don't like G-Shocks, you sort of expensive steel G-Shocks. Maybe it would have been better to not put anybody off getting into this because of the price of this. And I think a few folk have commented, certainly a few folk have commented in the article on a blog to watch about, is this really $4,700 worth of watch? So give me give me your yeah. give me your look, Richard. You absolutely are echoing a common sentiment. So there's nothing weird about what you're saying, and it's true. There's always been what I'll call a, a a negative quartz bias. If something is quartz, people are like, it shouldn't be that much. If the same thing has a mechanical movement and it's like three thousand dollars more, like, okay, that's that's fine. And that is based upon the idea that for the most part, mechanical movement costs more than the quartz movement, and, and in a lot of ways, that is true. However, let's consider the fact that this is not exactly an off-the-shelf movement. Gerard Perigot yep. had to produce parts that, that they don't normally produce, meaning not just like, you know, 
random metal parts that would go into mechanical watch movement. And these are low production. To produce low production anything, let alone electronics, means you have to go get a bunch of custom stuff made. I'm not saying it's horrendously expensive, but my guess is that each of these movements costs more than the equivalent of automatic movement to produce, especially given the relatively low economy scale and the fact that there's probably a lot more going on, different specialties. You could just have a normal watchmaker doing it. And again, this is supposed to be a Swiss-made thing, so it's not like they're going you know, to China and saying, hey, make us some stuff. The whole point was that these movements were made and engineered in Switzerland, and, and that is you know, sort of part of this. So I don't know exactly where every component was made and things like that, but this is, this is a Swiss movement and, and something that they don't normally do. So I understand that the negative quartz bias, there are reasons for it, but if you really think about what Gerard Perigo had to go through to make this, it's actually a lot more involved. And so for me, they're charging it less because there is an expectation that quartz watches cost less than mechanical watches. And these are already products that have, you know, a, a, a healthy margin, especially in the mechanical ones. So I think that they're trying to maintain the margins that they're expecting as a luxury product, but that if they if they could, they would actually charge these more because like I said, my guess is that this is more expensive for them to produce than a comparable mechanical watch. No, fair enough. If Gerald Perigo want to send us one that we can take apart to have a look at the guts of it, then you know we'll, we'll, we'll see where we can source the parts from. That sounds fun. Do we think that uh, this is going to be something Gerald Perigo's now being sold Patrick who we spoke to on the Spending Time podcast with relevance to Dubai Watch Week he is still there I assume oh yeah he's more than there yeah. he's he's even more in charge now so he with the new structure and things like that has more managerial power and say and things like that are these here to stay well I think yes I think that the only watch one was a bit of a test. It was successful. They made these. You know, we talk about innovation a lot in this space. We talked about the beginning of the show. But the word that a lot of people actually mean to go to is novelty. And that isn't something like a new invention. It's just something new. It's something fresh. It's something different. In the scheme of luxury watches, people get very tired of the same thing very quickly. All of a sudden, people like green watches, and then the market's saturated with them. And before you know it, man, do I want anything but a green dialed watch. And in a way, this is sort of the answer to, oh, you just bored of mechanical watches? Well, try this now. It might just be the flavor of the month, but at the end of the day, it is something new and it presents novelty. And there's a lot of marketability uh, for that in many instances. And do we think under the leadership of Patrick with both GP and Ulysses Nardan separated off, do we think uh, both those brands will now make a significant strides forward? Or do you think it will take a few years to get them where presumably the new management team want them to be? I don't really know. I don't really know how their cash flow works. I know that without being part of a corporate group, they don't have to share profits. So they theoretically have a lot more money that they can reinvest into research and development, things like that. So it's really hard to say. It's it's about the managers. It's about the expectations of the now owners and things like that. My guess is that you don't go into purchasing a combo of brands like Gerard Perigo and Elise Nardin without a long-term vision. And I think that for many years, people have said that Gerard Perigo in a lot of ways needs to get its groove back. It has been doing that very successfully over the last year. So I like to see that 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 momentum continue, and I also think that there's going to be an even brighter future for these types of high-end quartz watches. I have sort of prophesized the popularity of high-end quartz watches a while ago. I said it was only a matter of time, and now with smartwatches, there's becoming a new interest in the nostalgia of non-software 
based watches. So I think that there's something to be said about the larger interest. And just sometimes that these people are a little bit ahead of their time. But two years from now, I promise you that there's going to be more stuff like this, not less. I had the privilege to speak to Octavio from Gorilla. And we're going to be reviewing the Gorilla Fastback Thunderbolt chronograph shortly. So Octavio has done our who, what, why, where, when for his new watch. So over to him just now. Welcome to the show, Octavio. Uh, you are the founder of Gorilla Watches. And in saying that, I have already ruined the first question for <laughs> who, what, why, where, when. We're about to review your new Gorilla Fastback Thunderbolt chronograph, and that's me also ruined question number two. So over to you with the five questions. Yes. So who are you? Who do you work for? What is your business? Richard, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Octavio Garcia. I am co-founder of Gorilla Watches. Gorilla is an independent sports watch brand founded in Crecia, Switzerland in 2016 by Lucas Gope and myself. And we commercialize automotive-inspired sports watches. Great stuff. And they are lovely watches, if I do say so myself. So what is it that you're releasing right now and what market are you aiming to serve with it? So right now we are releasing the Fastback Thunderbolt chronograph. It is our first chronograph in our lineup of sports watches. Because it's in the Fastback collection, it's distinguished by uh, its cushion-shaped silhouette and integrated rubber strap. And it has a number of layers uh, materials such as uh, scratch resistant ceramic bezel, anodized aluminum pinstripe, and a CLC coated grade five titanium case. Octavio, why this release? Why is this release where the brand wants to focus just now? Well, being an automotive inspired watch brand, we felt that it was important for us to have a chronograph in the fastback lineup. So the Thunderbolt chronograph is equipped with a personalized open work Dubois des Bras chronograph module powered by an ETA 2892 automatic movement. It's limited to 99 pieces. It has an array of specific materials on the case, including a ceramic bezel, aluminum anodized pinstripe, and grade five titanium case, all on a integrated rubber strap, making this what I consider to be a staple for the brand in the coming years. Where can we find it and how much is it? So you can find the chronograph at authorized dealers around the world, including the United States. And you can also shop on our online website at gorillawatches.ch. The price is 8,500 USD. When will it be released? It was actually released last year and we are beginning to deliver as of July. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time. All the best on the release. And because I'm doing the show, I'm going to ask one question I've always wanted to know. Why did you call the brand Gorilla? The idea behind it was finding a name that whether you love it or hate it, you never forget it. That is absolutely true. I love it and I'll certainly never forget it. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, Have a great day. Thank you. So Ariel, uh, you got hands on with this. I am a big fan of Gorilla watches. I love these. What did you think? What was your first impressions of this one? I remember years ago, when Octavio Garcia reached out to me saying that he was starting his own brand. This was after he had left Audemars Piguet, where where he was the head of design. And I asked him, what was it that you were so excited about in starting your own brand? He's like, I can finally do what I like. 
This is an individual who studied automotive design here in Pasadena near Los Angeles in California. And at Audemars Piguet, he wasn't able to do a lot of that. And as esoteric as it kind of is, Gorilla is a brand themed around American muscle cars. And they're not supposed to look like American muscle cars, but the whole idea was that these were watches you could enjoy with American muscle cars. And what do you associate when you think about American muscle cars? Large size, particular types of lines, oftentimes bright colors. The visuals of them is oftentimes more impressive than their actual performance. And so what you have are these big watches. They're called the Fastback. They have the Drift, which is a round case, but there's there's only one model of that one so far. So I've always liked these. These are polarizing. They're very comfortable to wear on the wrist, but most people don't know that until they wear them. So I'm a fan. The Thunderbolt is by far the most expensive watch they've ever come out with, with $8,500. And the reason it's expensive is it's a first chronograph and it has a module created just for them from Swiss Dubois de Pra, which is a chronograph model module on top of a, a Swiss Eta base automatic movement. That's what Dubois de Pra does, does best. It looks really cool. It's sort of partially skeletonized. Not everything about the watch is perfect. For example, the minutes hand, I think, doesn't need to be as skeletonized as it is. But during the time I wore this watch, I have to say that as a conversation piece, it was truly fantastic. It's these wonderful sort of like gulf oil, blue and orange colors. Got this suede and rubber strap, little hint of orange, big black cer matte ceramic bezel. It's just a it's just a cool looking watch from from pretty much every angle. And so I recognize that stuff like this isn't for everyone, but honestly, my favorite types of watches are those are those polarizing ones. Let's take the road less traveled and imagine that Octavio had been able to get his way at AP and had produced this watch or something similar, but with an Audemars Piguet logo on it versus what they ended up doing, which is the Code 1159. Or maybe they would have done the Code 1159 as well, and they would have diversified into this kind of style of watches away from their Gerald Gent design. Would this have been a successful concept with AP on it, or did he really need to leave in order to do this? Look, I mean, the, the Code 1159 came out, you know, quite some time after he left, and it's really hard to know what his personal aesthetic is outside of the Gorilla watches, because other than that, I'm not really sure what he's into. There are watches that I know he made at Audemars Piguet that have certain elements here, the aggressive chronograph pushers, some of the modern lines and things like that are, are definitely his aesthetic, which, which is good. I think the problem he had at Audemars Piguet was really what you could guess anyone's problem would be. They're not allowed to do new things. All it was was tweaking old stuff, a couple of new colors here and there. If you're a designer, you don't actually get to do a lot of design. And that was something that I'm sure could be frustrating to anyone. And so, you know, I can't say exactly what his stuff at AP would be. But remember, he loved the star wheel, which was their wandering hours thing. And he, yep. with the drift watches, did exactly that. He went to Vosche and he had them make uh, a wandering hours, you know, satellite time module for watches in both this fastback case as well as the outlaw case which is round i have those watches they're fantastic so he he wanted to do different types of revivals of the brand he was interested in different types of things he just felt like it was you know show me different versions of the, the royal oak and then show me some more versions of the royal oak and there's only so much you can do that before you, you start to go crazy so i don't know if i can answer your question exactly 
But I, I think that he's happier now that he gets to experiment and play and play and do new things and, and, and work for himself, which is ultimately what many, many of these designers seem to to want to do in their career. I love the output. I think what the producer is polarizing. You either like it, you don't, but they are incredibly comfortable to wear. And they're just great. Like you say, they're conversation pieces. You take this along to a red bar event or just actually in general public, this is going to be a watch that people are genuinely going to ask you about so you can read the full article uh, written by Ariel uh, on their blog to watch website finally for today we have a sponsor post we're going to look at and we are going to try and look at the sponsor post without mentioning the name of the brand because neither of us are prepared to put on the Italian accent that is necessary (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to say it properly. I'm, I'm not game. I don't know if you want to have a go. Well, it's sort of like why in English we call, um, you know, F- Florence, Florence. Like it's supposed to be like Firenze. Yes. This is supposed to be, I guess, the name of someone or something that comes from Venice. So it's Venezianico. Venezianico. I, I, I'm just not saying it right, you know, but. Yeah, it's the A-N-I, but. I don't I'm, I'm, I'm missing my Venezianico. Scottish slur yeah I mean the word looks cool if you, if you don't try to say it it does <laughs> I mean it's a, it's a it's an item you don't need to tell people what it is you just show them your cool watch so this is this is an entry level uh, automatic watch I really like them uh, I mean for a few hundred bucks to try something out that's a bit different brand that you may have come across before they, they had a rebrand I think there was a Another Italian word in front of it, which I'm not going to try to pronounce uh, previously. <laughs> these are forty. These are forty mil cases. They've got quite a neat power reserve on them. I don't know if you've noticed that. So they have this uh, power reserve uh, hand that runs across the top, as well as a, a sub a sub dial at six with the date on it. So there's quite a lot of watch for your few hundred pounds on this. I have to say. They're quite attractive. They've got some Italian architecture references on the back, presumably from Venice, which is where the Venezianciano, however you pronounce it, uh, comes from. But I quite like these. The gold, I think, I think the gold one's my favourite. But certainly, if you go to their website, there's loads. They're very much into the colours. There's a bit of um, homage is the wrong word, but there's a bit of uh, you know. For, for a few hundred pounds, you're not going to get something that's brand stonking, revolutionary new. You're going to get something that has references to much more famous equipment and watches. And that's what you get in this. So it's worth it's, it's, checking It's out. a handsome collection for sure. And I think what's important here is that you have these smaller brands not just emulating the bigger brands, but emulating other successful smaller brands. And so when yes. I look at this... I see an emulation of the success of Filippo Loretti, which is not an Italian brand, but it's a Lithuanian brand, but it is meant to appear as a a brand that's inspired by Italian architecture. Similar thing where they'll have some Italian architecture on the case back um, and names of the watches inspired by Italy and things like that. And both of them have a fashion forward perspective of taking nice classic designs, giving them a little color and a little bit of style. Here, what they do is they take a pretty uncommon Japanese Seiko movement known as the NE57, which, you know, if you you can go out there and find a couple of other watches 
that have it. But most people don't know that, you know, Citizen and Seiko sell more than just, you know, basic three-hand automatics. There are watches with, we'll call them light complications. This one has a subsidiary date dial, as well as that centrally mounted power reserve indicator hand that, that has a, a, an arc, which goes about, I don't know, maybe 160 degrees uh, across the dial there. So it's, it's a nice little, you know, I'll call it sort of business casual dress watch with a bit yeah. of a horological flair to it. And like you said, for several hundred dollars, it, it ain't bad. Yeah, I think if, if it's, uh, you know, the choice between buying some mass-produced fashion brand that's probably going to cost you, you know, a couple hundred pounds or spending a little bit more and getting something that's actually got some, you know, a little bit of horological chops about it, then I would go for this. So go and check that out uh, on their blog to watch website. That is us for this week. You've been listening to this most likely on the Spending Time channel from A Blog to Watch, but there is a dedicated A Blog to Watch weekly channel that you can find on uh, Spotify, iTunes, all the usual places. So please do go and subscribe to it directly because we'll run these shows on Spending Time for uh, you know a few weeks and then we'll start transferring across everything to the main channel so what have you got coming up this week have you got the suitcase out and you're starting to you know every time you you know iron a shirt you iron a second shirt actually in your case it's every time you you pack a tracksuit or a hoodie you put a second tracksuit or a hoodie into a the bag tracksuit that's my reputation getting getting ready to go to s-i-h-h <laughs> what, what, what am i like what, a what? gangster from new jersey going to the <laughs> trade <Yeah>. show <laughs> you've got your, you've got your gold ap on the way have you not <laughs> I'm actually going to Switzerland before Watches and Wonders for a trip. So okay. I'm going to be going, I, I, I don't know if these are secrets or something like that. I guess I shouldn't say, but I'm going to see some cool watches. I'll bleep it out. Well, I'm going for. Ooh, you're going to see. Are you? Very nice. And that that's going to be in and around Geneva. And then I'm going to you know meet with some brands there. Coming home for about two weeks and then returning to Geneva, going to begin with a visit to an event in Zurich with Breitling and they're having their own show there and then going to be transferred over to Geneva for many days and nights. It's going to be about a 10 day trip in total of, of, of watches and meetings and things like that. Um, it's, it's going to be exciting. But what I'm also excited about is what all the other brands that don't have plans are going to do. For example, in early March, while I'm in Switzerland, other team members are going to be at other events. Um, we're going to see some new Seiko watches. We're going to see some new Omega watches as well. I think it's okay to say those. So I don't know what they are, but we're going to see new things. So there's going to be a lot of novelty coming in the, in the next few months it's actually potentially going to be overwhelming so if you feel that there haven't been enough watch releases lately or you've been a little bit bored just you wait <laughs> and is there one brand that you will particularly head for at watches and wonders first is there somebody you're actually excited to see either just because you've not seen the people for three years or you know there's something you've, you particularly have heard might be worth going and checking out first. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I like going into those shows not knowing what to expect. Um, so I just mm -hmm. sort of go to the meetings and, and like to be wowed. But we're continuing a tradition that we've done for, I don't know how many years now. It's been a while now. Our first meeting at the show is with Rolex. And I think that we're their first meeting as well. So we just sort of started off that way. And we just, you know, it's we, we get that out of the way, you know, because we're always curious. That's the most curiosities about Rolex. And this year, it's especially funny because no one can get the thing. So it's like, hey, what's the next yeah. watch we can't get? <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so there you go. You heard it here first. If you want to be first in with the news of what's going on, then the people were the first uh, first meeting as a blog to watch. So check out the coverage as it snowballs down the hill like a gargantuan elephant of watch news, as it no doubt will. That, come. That's how you describe watches and wonders. A a a cascading avalanche of elephant watch news, something like that. Yeah, something something <laughs> of that ilk. So that's so that's it. So anyway, thanks for joining us. You can find Ariel. What's your Instagram account, Ariel? Ariel to watch. And what have you got coming up in Superlative Podcast this week? I don't know. We record them a few weeks out. I, I think sometimes like about two, three months out. But we've had really an incredible had group ones. of people that we've been yeah. interviewing. I mean, these are these are great shows. I don't always, you know, I'm not always the, my best promoter, but if you're interested in the people and the personalities and the themes and like what's on people's minds in the watch industry, it's the only place I know to get any of that. So listen to the Superlative yes. Podcast. Yeah, listen to last Monday's in particular. It was very, very good. Proper deep dive. And you're getting stuff out of these guys that you wouldn't see. Yeah, you've got time. You've got a full hour. I mean, I, I spoke to a gentleman during my last uh, show a couple days ago. It'll be on in a few weeks. In the beginning of the show, I mean, his responses were about five words or less. But towards mm-hmm. the end of the show, he really started to open up, really started to give some good stuff. And, and it takes that. There's an apprehension that exists here. And what most people don't know is you can't just give these people a platform. You have to be like a very diligent interviewer that not everyone knows how to be. And I guess, I don't know, I like to interrogate them a little bit. It's, of course, it's not, <laughs> it's not at all a, a, an antagonistic thing. I give them a great platform. But I dig deep because... That's how you get interesting conversations, and I and I care about that very much. So um, I hope that benefits all the listeners. Exactly. So check them out. That's a superlative podcast. Just Google that, and you'll find all the content. You can find me furthermore at at Rick TikTok and Instagram, and at the Wind Up Merchants Podcasting Wise. So that's it from us. Have a great week, and we will see you again in the world of watches in a week's time. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. You're talking about the Red and Dory Reserva de Carica, the new flagship timepiece of the Vets of Come on, Christy. The new flagship timepiece of the Vets of No! The new flagship timepiece of the Venezia Nico Red and Dory collection. Enjoy the show. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs>